everyone and welcome back to Allentown Presents. It is our March Spotlight on Musicals and I'm here with Otis. Hey. And we are talking about one of my all-time favorite musicals ever, The Producers. This movie came out in 2005 on Christmas. It stars Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane as producing duo Bialystok and Bloom. And it is a fantastic movie. Now, this movie is a musical remake of a movie that came out in 1967 um, that originally starred Gene Wilder and, ooh, I don't know the name of the other guy. Zero uh, Mostel, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Um, And the original version was not a musical, much like the original Hairspray was not a musical. Um, But when he wrote it, when he wrote the producer's movie, Mel Brooks had intentionally written it as a play. He wanted this to be a play, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out that way, mm-hmm. and it ended up being made into a movie. Um, he had every intention of the play being a musical, um, but just it never happened in the time uh, when the movie came out originally. And eventually, way down the line, he ended up um, making a musical. So he came up with the idea, made the movie um, in 1967, and it was a huge success. Everybody loved it because it was fucking like Blazing Saddles, basically. Like everyone loves all of the crazy dumb comedies (laughs) that Mel Brooks comes up with. Um... And then when this movie came out, people were really skeptical about it. They were like, oh, why is why are they making another one? Why did they make it into a musical? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that that really sucked for this movie. Um, because a lot of people didn't know or just weren't paying attention to, like, Broadway. Because this movie was... This show was on Broadway several years before it made it was made into a movie. Well, this... this- like version of it it felt like like a musical like a up close musical i don't know if that makes any sense like the way they were talking and singing they weren't like like in some musicals it's like they're singing a song and the person can hear it but like their their hands were extra like very musical like it i don't i can't fully explain it but this move that movie felt very musical like yes so what separates this movie from many other movie musicals um is that this musical movie is that this cast was the broadway cast (laughs) it came out a month after the rent movie came out because that came out thanksgiving 2005 and both of these films had that in common so rent took the as many people as they could from the original broadway cast and put them into their back into their roles for the movie and you can see that when you watch rent like oh that sounds like it sounds just like the original broadway recording um all of the movements and stuff that these people are doing are very theatrical very you know exaggerated because when you're on the stage it has to be exaggerated so that people in the back can fucking see what you're doing um and they did the same thing for their producers so um almost the entire cast of this film 
is the original Broadway cast that premiered it in two, uh, the year 2001. 2000, 2001. Um, so, like, Nathan Lane was the original Max Bialystok. Uh, fucking Matthew Broderick was the original uh, Leopold Bloom. Um, Roger Bart and... Uh, what's the other guy's name? I have it on here somewhere. He pl- all the most, almost everyone in this cast, except for Will Ferrell and Uma Thurman, were the original people. Mm-hmm. So all of their movements are super exaggerated because they're so used to playing it on stage. They just pretty much did exactly what they did on stage and brought it over. Okay. So that's why it feels like that. That's why it's so obnoxious. Everyone's movements are like huge, um, because. They just didn't take it out. There, there was no need to. And they didn't want to pull it back because it's a Mel Brooks thing. They wanted it to be over-exaggerated and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this film is about, if you did never have never seen the original movie or this film, this movie is about um, Max Bialystok, who is a producer of Broadway musicals. And he is just sucking it up. He hit a slump and everything he touches now just turns to shit. He runs into an accountant, um, Leopold Bloom, who has to go over his books and figure out his tax stuff and comes up with the idea that you would make more money off of producing a Broadway flop than you would off of a Broadway hit. Basically, you raise more money than you need, you spend the little bit of money that you need, and you pocket all the rest. You just have to, like, trick, you know, make fake books, basically. Yeah. So, Max loves that idea and is like fuck it let's do that like let's come up with it and leo initially is like no i can't i'm too much of a goody goody like i can't do that and then eventually it comes he comes around to the idea because one of his lifelong dreams was to be a producer so that's the very beginning in the middle it's them trying to find the perfect musical that is for sure going to flop They have to find the perfect musical that is going to be super shitty and flop. They have to find the perfect director who fucking sucks and is going to make it flop. (laughs) The worst actors in the world who are for sure going to make it flop. Like they're, you know, they're checking all the boxes to make sure that this is a awful, awful show. And they end up choosing a musical called Springtime for Hitler, which is basically a love letter to Hitler written by Will Ferrell's character. (laughs) Uh, They pick the worst director in town, played, um, what is his name? I cannot right now. Uh, Who? Gary Beach. Sorry. um, Roger Debris. He's played by Gary Beach. He's just fucking over the top and ridiculous and apparently also messes up a whole bunch of stuff just like Max Bialystok. They try to find like the worst possible actors that they can and end up hiring Will Ferrell's character who wrote the play to be Hitler. And then they're just hoping that everything goes wrong. You know, they're saying all the wrong things. They're trying to make everything just go awfully. And then the night of their show... um, Franz Liebkin, Will Ferrell's character, ends up breaking his leg and can't go on. So Roger Debris uh, ends up having to go on as Hitler in the show. And because he knows all the lines, he was directing it. So he knows everything and he mouths everything while they're practicing. So he goes on and his portrayal of Hitler is very flamboyant and over the top. Because his character in the movie is flamboyant and over the top. So because he makes Hitler flamboyant and over the top, the show 
ends up being a huge success. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is a hysterical satire against like, you know, making fun of Hitler basically when it's really supposed to be a love letter to Hitler. And this whole, it just, chaos ensues. They end, you know, Max ends up in jail. (laughs) It's a whole thing. Um, It's really, really funny. It is rated PG-13. So I would not recommend this for people with young kids because there is some strong language, some sexual, like a lot of sexual innuendos. Um, And then, you know, it's, the musical they make up is Springtime for Hitler. Like it's literally (laughs) like Nazism. There's, if you are comfortable with explaining World War II and why you're laughing at what's happening on the screen, like to your small kids, like sure, I guess why not? But I would not recommend this to kids under 13 really i wouldn't recommend this to anyone with to any kids who haven't already studied world war ii and like understand what's happening because if you don't understand that part it's gonna make it way worse when you finally do learn about it if you've seen this movie first (laughs) Hmm. like i can't imagine having seen this first and then going into like 10th grade history and learning about world war ii and then like oh shit no wonder this was so weird and so funny. So, yeah. It's a good movie, but not for young children. Um, I highly recommend it. All the songs are really catchy. Everything is really fun. Um, if nothing, if you watch this for no other reason, you should watch this just for Nathan Lane and uh, Matthew Broderick overacting. Like, they are fucking priceless in this movie. I could watch them overact like they do in this movie all day. <laughs> the fucking faces that Matthew Broderick makes during this film are so good. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, now for some fun facts. All right. So Mel Brooks originally wrote the music for this by humming the melodies of the songs into a tape recorder and having a friend who is musically literate write it down on staff paper because he had no idea what he was doing. All right. This is a movie about a play based on a play about a play based on a movie. The producer's 1967. That is a mouthful and it is insane. Okay. Ernie Sabella originally appeared in a number that was cut where Max Bialystok and Leopold Bloom go to a bar during intermission to celebrate their flop. And he says, bar keeps, drinks all around. This would have put all three of the voice actors who played Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa from The Lion King, the original, like, 1994 Lion King, on screen together for the first time in, like, real life (laughs) since The Lion King. Um, That's not the only Disney tie this movie has, though. Um, Roger Bart, who plays Carmen Ghia, which is, like, the director's live-in assistant slash lover uh also was in a disney movie he was the singing voice of hercules nathan lane shaved the top of his head in order to create a realistic comb over because nathan lane is that dedicated to his craft um some of the little old ladies are actually men and if you go through and read the credits there's quite a bit of men in the little old ladies like it's probably more men than women, actually. <laughs> they just don't ever show close-ups of their face. They only show the women when they, like, really get into it. Uh, during the song Springtime for Hitler, Hitler mouths I love you all and sits on the edge of the stage to sing the next part of the song. From this, 
moment onward, he performs with a distinct similarity to Judy Garland's performances in both her concerts and television specials. She used to do that all the time. She would sit on the edge and she would talk to the audience like she was in there, like like they were old friends. And he does this in the movie to kind of do that. Um, Nicole Kidman was originally considered as a possible Ula. Matthew Broderick uh, offered her the role while they were filming The Stepford Wives in 2004. And she immediately said yes without even seeing a first draft of the script. She was like, hell yeah, like, let's do it. Um, but she backed out of the project a little while later, feeling that she was working way too much. Because in 2004, 2005, she was doing a ton of shit. And she just, like, couldn't handle it. So then they eventually landed on Uma Thurman. Um, Brad Oscar, who plays the taxi driver, was Franz, Franz Liebkin in the Broadway version. He also played Max Bialystok on Broadway and in London after uh, Nathan Lane departed the role in both cities. Richard Kind makes a cameo as the jury foreman at the end of the movie, um, and he actually played Max Bialystok on Broadway and on the national tour as well. So they had a whole bunch of the like other Max Bialystoks mm -hmm. in this film. Um, when greeting Max and Leo at the door, Carmen Gia's exaggerated s sound when he says the word yes lasts for 23 seconds <laughs> it's absurd um the original broadway production opened at the saint james theater on april 19th 2001 hey check it out we're almost at 19 years uh and it ran for 2502 performances wow yeah winning a record-breaking 12 tonys including the 2001 tony award for best musical book and score it won so many things. <laughs> All right. Much of the lead singing was performed live on set during takes. So this is an, that's another reason why a lot of the acting was so, why it felt so up close. Because they were doing it live. It wasn't like they went out and recorded the soundtrack and then just mouthed it like most musicals do. They did it live, which is very rare because like this one, um did a bunch of their stuff like that. And the only other one I can think of that really did that was Les Mis. Mm -hmm. And for Les Mis, it was a huge deal because they did the whole thing that way. They filmed each musical scene like in a take and did did it all like live, which was in is insane to me to even think about because syncing like everything up and making it not only audible to the audience, but distinct, like yeah. where you can pick out each person's voice in, you know, a large soundstage or wherever they're doing it, just seems crazy to me. The costumes for the girls in pearls weighed 20 pounds. Um, the large pearls that you can see on the costume, which are like on the skirts and on the butt part, um, were made out of plastic grapes that they painted white. They were chosen not because the things were too heavy, but because it was horribly uncomfortable for anything else when the girls were like rolling around on the floor because oh, they had okay. to do a bunch of those like sitting and like kicks things and they just couldn't sit on the like plastic pearls that they had originally had in the costume so they switched them out or not plastic but like the hard real pearls realistic pearls so they put the squishy like plastic grapes in there so they could do it at the very beginning of the movie in the very opening scene, um, all the people are coming out of seeing um, Max Bialystok's version of Hamlet. He creates a musical version of Hamlet. 
and everyone's just shitting on it like it was a piece of crap. He based one of the lines, one of my favorite lines in it is, uh, what he did to Shakespeare, Booth did to Lincoln, <laughs> which is fucking hilarious. But there really was a Hamlet musical, and it really was a flop. It was called Rockabye Hamlet, and it lasted for seven performances at the Minskoff Theater in 1976. In other news, there is another musical version of Hamlet-ish. Uh, so, well, several. So there's The Lion King, which is based on Hamlet, which later became a musical, The Lion King musical. And then in the show Something Rotten, there is a musical that's meant to be Hamlet, but he miss like the soothsayer or not soothsayer, but the like fortune teller guy that he goes and sees who he's trying to get Shakespeare's next big idea. He is trying to get Hamlet out of his head, like into the other guy's mind, like, but he can't come up with it for whatever reason. He can't see Hamlet. And he's just like, Oh, it's something like it's a omelet. And the fucking whole point of something rotten he ends up making a fucking musical omelet, which is supposed to be Hamlet. So it's the story of Hamlet, but by eggs. It's <laughs> fucking out. ridiculous and hilarious. Go see something rotten. If it ever comes near you, please. It's so funny. Um, all right. Gary Beach, who plays uh, Roger Debris, was playing the same character on both stage and screen at the exact same time. So when they were filming this movie, he was also doing it on Broadway. So that's insane to me. Uh, when Mel Brooks decided to adapt the producers into a Broadway musical, he had hoped to cast Nathan Lane as Max Bialystok and Martin Short as Leo Bloom. I could see that. Uh, Lane accepted the role as Bialystok right away, but Short was forced to decline as he didn't want to uproot his family because he had, I think, teen daughters at the time or something like that. I think they were like in high school. He didn't want to make a move because they were so close to the end. So they stayed. And Matthew Broderick was brought in to replace Short and he ended up getting nominated for a Tony because of it. Um, Short later went on to star as Leo Bloom opposite Jason Alexander as Max Bialystok in the Los Angeles run of the show. So after the whole Broadway run and the West End run was done and Nathan Lane and Martin and um, Matthew Broderick were both done, it switched and ended up being Jason Alexander and Martin Short. So they did get to, or Martin Short did get to play him, but just later. Um, At the end of the movie, Mel Brooks tells the audience that it's over and it's time to go home. Just like Matthew Broderick did in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So it was kind of an homage to to that. Um, and then my final one is a little bit of Fresno State knowledge. Hooray! Uh, Marcus Nance, who is the only uh, African-American accountant in the film. And I th- think the only African-American in the entire film. Because I honestly don't remember seeing any others, weirdly, in <laughs> in the whole show. Um, he is a graduate of Fresno State, whoop, whoop, go dogs, where he majored in theater and clarinet performance. He has a solo in the song Unhappy that was cut from the theatrical release and the soundtrack, but it's available in the deleted scenes on the DVD. And I know all of this because I met him in 2011 when he came to Fresno State and gave a clinic to the music majors. It was fucking cool. And yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> all right. What did you think of the movie? Uh, it was great. 
Um, it's another one of those musicals that I saw when it wasn't really a musical, and I got to see a more musicy version of. Because uh, the original's funny, you know. It's Mel Brooks, so you know. Yeah. You can't really go wrong with his type of comedy, especially if you like it. Some people don't like Mel Brooks and all the things he's done, and so. But if you like that stuff, it's amazing. Um, yeah. This movie is great. I. Woo! This came out what two thousand five. I saw this further down the road. Um, but for sure I watched because Uma Thurman's in it, and I think Uma Thurman is one of the most beautiful ladies in the world. Uh, Matthew Broderick's amazing. Uh, always love Nathan Lane. Uh, my mom, uh, there was a Disney cartoon, Teacher's Pet, and it's about a dog that wants to be a boy, and so he dresses up like a kid, and mm-hmm. he goes to school with his 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 boy, mm-hmm. and uh, it's Nathan Lane, and he sings all the time in it, and it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I've always, I've kept with Nathan Lane, and I really enjoy his voice, and just about everything he does is, is funny as hell, so, no, I had a great time with this, but like I was saying, um, it's a lot different from all the musicals that we've watched, it just felt very musical-y, <laughs> and that was very different. <laughs> oh, you said that about Hairspray too, though. Well, that one just because it was just a lot of music, but this one... There was more talking. It just felt like it just felt like it was on a stage, but the camera took like five steps forward. Oh, and you yeah, were just yeah, yeah. really close to everything. You're like front row. Yeah. It's like yeah. they were recording from front row, honestly. Yeah. That's what it felt like the whole time. Yeah. Because there were jokes and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that, that would kill in front of a stage. And people oh, yeah. would love it. And it did because yeah. it ran for over 2,500 performances. Yeah. But no, it was amazing. Nice. Um. I love this film. I do not particularly love the original producers. Um, I respect that it was where this all started. And before anyone comes at me and yells at me that, you know, everything Gene Wilder touches is amazing and blah, 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 blah. uh, You know, that movie was just not for me. I much rather would watch I would much rather watch this as a musical version rather than the non-musical version like I don't know there's just so many more jokes that that hit really well for me as a music in a musical version of this than they did as the flat version and I don't know I don't really like the old one so (laughs) I mean I guess come at me but whatever (laughs) So, yeah, I love this film. I will forever love this film. It is a little long. Um, so if you are not used to watching really long movies, uh, get over it, I guess. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a musical. The, and this, like Otis said, how it feels more musically, <laughs> um, this movie is made to feel like you're at the theater. And when you're at the theater... You're going to sit for a long time. That's just how musicals are. They tend to have an intermission. If this was, if this movie was made in the days where VHS was actually a thing, this would have been split up onto two VHSs and there would have been an intermission in the middle. Oh, like, yeah. They would have put, like, here's your intermission, your intermission 
switch to tape two, basically. So, <laughs> so yeah, this, this film was fucking great. It's fucking funny as shit. Every single person in this film is comedic gold. Like, everyone. And if you get at me and tell me that you hate Will Ferrell, I don't care. Because him as Franz Liebkin in this film is fucking gold. <laughs> like, he plays a old, a Nazi, like an ex-Nazi, who's trying to hide the fact that he was a Nazi. <laughs> and... It is fucking funny. He's like, he gets scared when he hears certain things because he thinks he's getting arrested for being a Nazi. He has like, he raises pigeons. <laughs> he's got like a little Hitler pigeon. <laughs> oh my God. He does, he has two songs. Like he does two German songs that are fucking hilarious. Like this movie is just, it's so good. And it actually, thinking about that actually makes me sad that Will Ferrell has not done more stupid-ass musicals because I think he'd be really funny in a bunch of other shit. Yeah. Well, he probably hasn't been propositioned with him because I could see him just saying, okay, yeah, I can do yeah. this. Well, he's not like a great singer. I wouldn't say that he's, you know, wonderful at singing. Um, but He's not terrible. But he wasn't terrible and comedically he's really funny. Like, I would love to see, like, Will Ferrell and fucking, like, Jack Black buddy comedy musical like just being outrageous it would be fucking great all right who is your favorite character in this film uh that's kind of tough um because the the main guys they were cool you don't have to pick one of them no i let me finish (laughs) my sentence um they're not really good people (laughs) because i mean they're kind of See, it's it's weird, like like with you know, there's certain archetypes. You you know, when you have a musical where it's like, like the main character is kind of a bad guy, and then they learn their lesson, and then you know nothing happens, and they're like, oh, it's fine, everything fixes itself. But with this one, like at the end, they still go to prison. It's funny that they changed that. Um, in in the newer version, uh, they don't stay that long in prison. In Sing Sing, they get pardoned. In the original, they are in prison. It ends with them working on Prisoners of Love. Yeah. Prisoner of Love. And and it's worse. It's worse than Springtime for Hitler. Yeah. (laughs) And then that's it. They're just in prison. Yeah. But um, it's tough. Uh, So I didn't pick either of them. Ula's cool. Um, Honestly, my favorite character, and I can't help it because he's hilarious, but yeah, I I probably have to go with uh, Will Ferrell's character. He was really Franz cool. Franz Liebkin. Yeah, he he. I had a good time with just about everything he did, even though he was even worse. It was it was a lot of. <laughs> oh yeah, everyone in this musical is pretty much a piece of shit. Yeah, it's 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 just a room full of shitty people trying to cheat the system, yeah. and then they actually do a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it it's well, it's actually odd. actually. Um, the director and uh, Roger Debris and Carmen Ghia and that whole household full of people are not pieces of shit. No, but they're shitty at what they do. Well, yeah, but then that's not that's their what fault. I, that's what I mean. Just shitty, <laughs> shitty in every sense of the word. Either you're a terrible person at heart or you're just not really good at what you do. Yeah. This movie was full of just shitty people. I like, mean, Ula was good at whatever she does. Kinda. She didn't understand the tidying up. She painted everything white. Well, <laughs> was it clean though? 
probably not. It was just the dirt got painted over. <laughs> so then it was clean. It was white. Ugh, it's, no, it's like lumpy. It was, nothing was smooth. It was all like weird lumpy. It's just, like I said, it's just, it's it's a room full of people that aren't working at 100%. Yeah. And they're it not, actually makes something people. perfect. They're not great people. Yeah, and they make something perfect. And it's just, it's like, I don't know, the stars aligned for them and it worked out. And they're like, yeah. oh shit, we didn't want this to happen. We wanted to fail. Like, we always fail. And it actually worked out. Yeah. Which is, you know, the ironic part about all of it. Yeah. But yeah, I'd probably have to go with Will Ferrell's character. He was very funny. Yeah. So my favorite character in this film is Leo Bloom, played by Matthew Broderick, for several reasons. So, number one, he is the only character in this entire film that actually grows as a person. Um, Most musicals, like, that's the whole point of the musical. People, each person is growing, like, their journey is changing. They're changing as a person. They're getting either stronger in their profession or wiser in love or whatever, right? No one in this musical actually grows except for Leo. When this movie starts, he is like this shy, timid, shitty accountant. And by the end, he's this super grandiose, you know obnoxious producer and he came out of his shell he learned how to deal with women he you know he grew from point a to point b and nobody else did yeah so that's step one (laughs) he he did develop a lot bialy and like i said when you have the bad people with a heart of gold and they finally find a good friend yeah so he got better in that way he actually trusted somebody yes but he is still slimy and yeah will lie to people to get stuff. Yes. But on top of that, on top of Leo being really the only one who grew, um, Matthew Broderick gives the performance of his life in this film. Like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a classic. 100%. Like, that is a one of the greatest movies of all time. And watching him in this film makes you forget that he was ever Ferris Bueller and you're just like holy shit you are so good at what you do not Otis because it's his favorite film but for me (laughs) for me like the Ferris Bueller thing just completely drops away and all I can see him as is Leo Bloom in this film his fucking like his character has this blue blanket (laughs) that he uses as like a like a safety net, uh, very similar to like, um, is it Linus in? Yes, kind of security. Like it's a security it, blanket, yeah. basically, uh, that he uses to control his OCD. And <laughs> in the very first scene where you meet him, um, him and Nathan Lane go back and forth, and you know Nathan Lane is very like loud and obnoxious and just in your face, like mm-hmm. his character. And Leo is very shy and timid and confused. And he's fucking like clutching this blue blanket and just being ridiculous with this blue blanket. And then Nathan Lane snatches it out of his hand and is like, what the fuck is that? Why are you holding this? And he's like, what is this shit? And fucking Matthew Broderick's reaction, he just starts screaming at Nathan <laughs> Lane at the top of his lungs, making this ridiculous face. I mean, my blue blanket! You took my blue blanket! (laughs) I need my blue blanket! Give me back my blue blanket! Like, (laughs) just at the top of his lungs. And it is fucking hilarious. And all of his just 
ridiculous faces in this film are so spot on. I love him in every moment of this film. No, he, it was amazing. Yeah. All right. Least favorite character. Uh, least favorite. Oh, that's tough. Cause I, I liked everybody for something. Um, if I had to pick somebody, huh? No, I don't think I have one. Yeah. Least favorite. Uh, everybody pretty equal. I liked them all, honestly. So, I'm mostly in your boat. I don't think that anyone was bad in this film. I think that everyone definitely had a reason, like served their part, did well at their part. Um, but I think my least favorite character in this film is Ula. And yeah. Well, well, I love Ula. Of course you did, because it's Uma Thurman and... Yeah, but I feel like of all of the characters in this musical, her character is the one that matters the least. Like, if you took her out, this musical would still mostly make sense. Like, you'd have to adjust a little bit of Leo's stuff, but I don't know. And she's there. I mean, I know this is a Mel Brooks film, like Mel Brooks adaption, Mel Brooks film. And I don't know. It's just like... She's the hot secretary, and, you know, those tropes kind of bug me. And she's not anything special at, like, acting. She's just, like, the first hot girl off the street to walk into the office, and she automatically got, like, the lead role in the film. <laughs> so, or in the play, so, I don't know. I don't dislike her. I just feel like she's my least favorite, because everyone else did so good. Oh, yeah. All right, what is your least favorite song in the film? Least favorite? Uh, so I'm going through the, the list. Uh, it's weird. So uh, usually in a play, uh, especially when it's like a buddy situation, it's past the midway point is where they fall apart. You can't be friends the whole time. You have to fall apart and you follow one person for a while. And then the other person comes in, he's like, I was never gone, buddy, I love you. And then they get back together, and then they sing three more songs, and mm -hmm. then it's over. Uh, this one's weird, because they have their falling out really close to the end. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they do, like, two more songs, and then it's kind of over. It was really, really far into the movie. Uh, but Betrayed was, it was all right. Betrayed is your least favorite song? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. It was all right. Hmm. All right. <laughs> My least favorite song is That Face, which is the song that uh, Ula and Leo sing to each other when they're, like, falling in love. And I just... That was cool. It's just too slow. All the rest of the songs in this film are very quick and fun and bouncy and, fa and fast, besides Till Him, which is my other least favorite. And, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't really like that song. And it's kind of like, part of it is because of Uma Thurman's, like, not great accent. Because she makes some weird choices with the way that she says that face. Like, it changes throughout the song. Sometimes yeah. she says dot face, like with a D. And sometimes she says dat, like dot and dat. And then, I don't know. It's just, like, a lot. And... I don't know. I don't really like the Matthew Broderick part in that song either, which is weird because I love Matthew Broderick in all the other songs. Okay, what is your favorite song? Because we didn't say that. E we didn't say that part. 
Yeah, uh, this one's tough. So, uh, with the producers, usually when you think of this musical, uh, the one song that insta pops up in everybody's head is Springtime for Hitler. So, that's an obvious, like, check. So, it, it, it's, it's so obvious that you just have to kind of pick another one. Um, but when I say Springtime, I'm thinking of, like, the trio of songs, the suite. So that and Heil Myself, that whole... So Springtime for Hitler, Heil Myself, and Springtime for Hitler 2. Yeah, the whole situation when they're at the, the whole musical. The musical. That's, that's just one for me. But uh, if I had to pick another song, um, I really like the one with Wolf Ferrell, the Guten Tag. Guten Tag Hopclop? Yeah, that was a really good one. I, I smiled a lot with that one. With and, the birds. Yeah, it, it was very silly. Um, and uh, when you got it, flaunt it. That was a really good one. Yeah. He's like, Ula dance now. And it, ding, 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 Ula it, dance again. Yeah. <laughs> it was very My silly. My dear, you can't tell right now, but we are both giving you standing ovations, yeah. even though we're sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was very silly. And like I said, uh, with Max Brooks, Mel Brooks, thinking of his son, uh, Mel Brooks movies and stuff is just, it, they're silly. A lot of jokes like that real quick. Uh, he, he loves a good booby joke. And just, or it's like, not even nonverbal. When he, like, hugged her, he was like, by her boobs. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, those those ones really kind of p- poked out at me. Okay, so my favorite song is Betrayed, which is your least favorite song. Um, I love the song Betrayed because it is very much... Okay, so in our last episode, Hairspray, we talked about how um, You Can't Stop the Beat is very much the culmination song like each person gets their little say in it and it basically wraps up the musical it yeah. talks about each little part each of the main themes of the film and wraps it up in a nice little package betrayed is does that in this film even though it's not all the way at the very end he talks about he's just ranting about his whole life and or about the his life since he met leo basically and i love the quick paced like wrap up that he does about it when oh, he's yeah. like uh he's like well, he, he's he tosses out a line from like just from, about from every each five song, minutes of the from movie. each different song yeah, yeah. he's like <laughs> he's like uh see it smell it touch it kiss it oola ooh wow wee wow 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 wee <laughs> and he just like goes through each like different good dog hop hop good dog clop clop Turn, turn, kick, turn, 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 kick, turn. And he's just like going through every single part of the thing. Um, and I love that because he wraps up everything that happened that culminates in him ending up in jail, basically. And that's one of my favorite songs. Um, my favorite scene in the film is different, though. So the Betrayed song happens while he's in jail. It's just him sitting in a jail cell, basically. And he's having these like flashbacks memories of different things but my favorite scene is the i want to be a producer scene it starts with um unhappy uh which is leo sitting in the accountant's office with all the other with all the other accountants like cranking their little um i don't know calculators (laughs) and just singing about how shitty it is to be in a job that you hate and then um leo takes over and it's talking about how he's always wanted to be a producer his entire life and he spent his life just doing fucking nothing, being an accountant, being timid, being shitty. 
And that whole song basically changes him from being timid accountant to like brave. All right, I'm going to jump in full fledged. I'm going to be a producer. And I love that scene. Um, not only because it's like him growing, but I love the scene because they do some really cool fucking things with the lighting in that scene. Like it starts with him in a whole room full of desks and then it he's like drawing on his little staff thing about like his name in light, like seeing his name in lights and all this different stuff. And then the whole room just shifts into this giant stage <laughs> and it's like, there's like lighted steps and his name is spelt in lights like 50 different fonts and different sizes and he's got like chorus girls in pearls just like all around him and it's so over the top and elaborate and fucking cool looking yeah it's i love that scene uh do you have a favorite scene that isn't one of the songs that you chose or just a do you have a favorite scene uh honestly just about all those moments uh the whole springtime for Hitler, we got to see John Barrowman. Yeah, John Barrowman. And it was cool with him singing and stuff. Go Doctor all, Who. Looking all smooth. He was so young. Uh, honestly, the whole musical was pretty cool to see. Yeah. I really like, that's my second favorite scene. Um, not the first part of the musical. Not springtime for Hitler 1, though that is really good. I really like springtime for Hitler 2, specifically. Um, there's this part in it where they like the big chorus number basically happens and all of these um german soldiers quote unquote come out and they're like goose stepping like in a big line and then they transition they like move around basically like a marching band and they mm -hmm. turn into this swastika oh yeah they, yeah, yeah they form a shape of a swastika they're all like lined up in a swastika shape and then the back wall of the theater that they're in raises and tilts up so it's like at an angle above them um so you can see what's happening like from the top basically because it's a big mirror and then they in that swastika formation they like goose step slowly and like rotate the swastika which is like i hate that it's a swastika because it's horrible but it is really cool visually, like, just what they did. Like, they could have made any shape, and it would have been fucking cool looking for them to have that, like, glat, like, the mirror and then the rotating thing. Yeah. Like, if someone could do that on a marching band field for a halftime show, that would be fucking insane. Because, well, I mean, the amount of mirrors you would need to cover a whole football field. But that would be fucking cool looking. And, um, what was I going to say? Fuck. And then at, right after that swastika thing, or as that swastika thing is happening, um, it, like, builds up, and then all these female soldiers come out. They're, like, in their tiny shorts with their whips on their hips, like he was talking about earlier in the show, and they're all coming out. And then all these women, like, these paratroopers, like, fall down from the ceiling, <laughs> and all of these different, like, women in these, like, high heels, like, dressed all sexily, fucking come out dressed as like tanks and biplanes and shit and they're talking about going to war and you know Europe better watch out and like it's so fucking hilarious and sad and funny like it's just perfect like that scene is so well done and if this springtime for Hitler ever ended up like on Broadway as a real show I would for sure go see it just to see that scene like come to life because <laughs> That's fucking great. All right. 
Memories. Do you have any memories of this film? Uh, no. I just I just remember seeing it. It was great when I saw it, but yeah, nothing really sticks out to me. Okay, so I watched this film many, many times uh, with Regina, of course, because she's my musical buddy, and also with Ashley. Um, I don't know if you're listening to Ashley out there in Vegas, but this one's for you. Uh, we used to live together, and we would watch this movie all the time because we were both really big fans of it. And I remember driving around with her one time. I don't remember where we were going or why we were driving around, what we were doing. But we were driving somewhere and we were listening to this musical, like, cranked up and just getting fucking stared at, like, death glares from people because we were singing Springtime for Hitler. And people, you know, had no idea any of the context, had probably never heard that song before in their life. We're just fucking (laughs) singing, like, at the top of our lungs a show tune about fucking Hitler and everyone's just really, really confused. So I do remember doing that and that was fucking great. All right. Uh, seven word synopsis. Uh, the perfect shitty crime goes horribly right. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Um, okay. I have three. A surprise smash. It'll run for years, which is literally <laughs> what it's in the newspaper article about <laughs> As soon as the movie or the Springtime for Hitler is over, they get the review, basically. And the review says, a surprise smash, it'll run for years. (laughs) Which was awesome that it ended up being seven words. Um, And then, look out Europe, we're going on tour. Because because that's fucking just, Jesus Christ. (laughs) So ridiculous. Um, Okay, and then my last one is... Give me those books, fat, fat, fatty. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a scene where uh, right after they find out that it, the show was a success instead of a flop, they go and get the the duplicate books out of the safe, and they're, Leo wants to turn them into the cops, and Max is like, no, we have to get the fuck out of here. Like, we gotta hide this evidence. We can't show anyone. And they're fighting over it, and <laughs> Leo says... Give me those books, fat, fat, fatty. And Max is like, (laughs) and they're just going back and forth. And it's like, books, fat, books, fat, books, fat. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. Um, But yeah, that's where that's from. Uh, All right. What do you think the budget for this film was? Uh, I'm going to go with 35 million. Pretty close, actually. So you're only off by 10. It was 45 million. Okay. Quite a bit. Um... Yeah, what do you think the box office was for this film? Uh, I see it's weird. I know a lot of people get grumpy when you talk about this movie. Kind of like the same feeling with like uh, Blues Brothers two thousand. Uh, I'm gonna say you said forty five. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it did like fifty five. So All it right. made its money and got a little bit out. So this movie did not make its money. Oh shame. million, unfortunately. Um, So this movie spent a lot of money on... I mean, the cast was probably a lot, but I think most of the money went into the costuming and the set design because this shit is elaborate. Yeah. Like, it's not like Chicago where it mostly takes place in a jail like, and the sets are all black with some red lighting. This shit is elaborate, like... All of the scenes are really elaborate, and it cost them a lot of money to make. Like forty-five million is quite a bit, 
And I don't know. I think the problem with this film that a lot of people had was they were just up. A lot of people were upset that they were remaking a Gene Wilder film. Yeah. And we're just like, how dare you like the original? Why do we need a musical? Why do we need this? Why do we need that? Um, I guarantee you the $38 million that it did make was from people who had already heard, most people who had already heard the original cast album or people who had just loved like Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick because clearly nobody else went and saw this film. Like, I don't know what it was, comp- I can't, I didn't look up what it was competing against on in Christmas 2005, but... Christmas isn't a good time to drop movies. I don't think it is. I know there are probably some movies out there that do great christmas time when they drop but i just would not drop a christmas film like you said rent came out the month before right uh yeah rent was cut came out i believe on um thanksgiving yeah i i just i don't know i'd have pushed it back some just christmas just that i've never been a christmas movie person there's probably people out there that love going to the movies christmas day that's it's just stupid to me. I'd rather just sit inside and play my new video game that I got for Christmas. But some people like to get out. They can't just sit in the house all day. Yeah, I don't know why this movie did not do well. But a lot of people like just didn't want to go see it, I guess. I don't know. Other films that came out this day. Baha, why? I don't care about your privacy bullshit. Okay, go away. All right, um, Casanova with Heath Ledger, um, The New World, starring Colin Farrell about Pocahontas, um, Rumor Has It with Jennifer Aniston, Rumor Has It, uh, Trans America. Is it about vampires? I don't think so. Oh, I don't want to watch it. Um, the Family Stone. Is it about the band? No. Yeah, then I don't want to watch it. It's like a... Not a rom-com. Some dumb bullshit. I don't know. Cheaper by the Dozen 2, which I liked. <laughs> Aeon, <What did? laughs> Aeon Flux. Um, oh, that movie was poop. <laughs> yeah. Brokeback Mountain. So it was uh, battling against Brokeback Mountain. Um, the producers, of course. The Kid and I. Um, whatever the fuck that is. Fun with Dick and Jane. I remember that. That was pretty funny. Uh, King Kong was out like Ugh, the week before or two weeks before. Oh, there it is. There it is. The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that is where everyone was. Ugh. Christmas Day. Also, Memoirs of a Geisha was also in theater theaters at that time. Uh, and The Ringer. So there was a lot of like other stuff that brought in big audiences all at that same time so yeah so that's why that's part of why it didn't do too great which is really unfortunate because it's a really good film so if you give it have a chance um and you can find you know a little over two hours to not be around kids you should give this movie a shot it is really really funny if you are overly sensitive about like World War Two and Hitler, maybe don't watch this because but they're making fun of them. It, it, it's they like, are, but it's like Inglorious Bastards. It is Hitler. I, yes, gets I, all the bullets in his face at the end of that movie. You should be like, hell yeah, go get fucked, Hitler. Yes, I'm just warning people that this 
movie does have a lot of stuff about Hitler. And if that concerns you, then maybe don't watch it. But if you like to laugh and enjoy such Mel Brooks classics like fucking Spaceballs and some dumb shit like that, you should watch this film because it's funny. <laughs> I love your list of Mel Brooks movies. Spaceballs and some other shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spaceballs is really the only one I can think of that is similar to the producers, to this version of the producers, because all his other stuff prior to that was much more intense, like racially, because <laughs> Blazing Saddles is a lot, and the original producers is a lot, and all of that. It was different. I don't know. He grew a lot in every decade, so... <laughs> It's this is more akin to like Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks, rather than like Blazing Saddles, Mel Brooks. I think. What do you think? I don't know. It's it's all the same. They just musicified this idea, and they lightened it up. You know, years went by, so everything got a little bit lighter and sillier. Yeah. But it's all the same. You you know, Mel Brooks is very equal opportunity. He picks at every race, so you can't really get mad at him. Yeah. That's but he, fair. But he does pick it himself a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, no. No, that's, that's a good one. It's good, and you should watch it. Um, the music is fucking great, and it's super catchy. If nothing else, you should listen to the soundtrack, uh, either for the movie version or for the Broadway version. Again, there's not much difference in the cast, but I will say that the movie version of the soundtrack does include a... Really, really cool version of the hop clop, uh, the Guttentag hop clop, which is called The Hop Clop Goes On. And Will Ferrell does a My Heart Will Go On oh, version yeah. of the uh, Guttentag hop clop at the end. And it is fucking great. It's so funny. And it busts me up every time. It's at the end of the credits. So, like every other movie, stay. And watch the entire credit scene. Or the entire credits. Because there is a special bonus scene at the very end. Where you get to see Mel Brooks finally in this film. So stay all the way through. Because musicals always do that. Um, so yeah. Go check this film out. It's a really fun film. And it's really really funny. And all the music is great. Uh, don't forget. You can follow us on Twitter. At Allentown Pod. You can email us with your questions or comments or concerns. If you can't fit it in the 240 characters on Twitter, you can email us at allentownpresents at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Allentown Presents. You can find us anywhere where podcasts are found, um, also at Allentown Presents. And yeah, don't forget to like and download us and share us with your friends and tell everyone you know because, you know, we love doing this and we want to keep doing it. So the more people who listen, the more products we can, or not products, the more projects we can put out for you guys. So yeah, this is fun. And that was the end of our March musicals, I think. So next up is... Cult Classics. Cult Classics. That'll be fun. Yeah. I have... We've got quite a bit. Five of them in my head right now. <laughs> so... Yeah. So stay tuned for our take on Cult Classics coming in April. And hopefully we'll be able to put out quite a few more episodes in April now that we're all quarantined. Now that everyone's quarantined and 
we've got a little more time to ourselves to, to figure everything out. So, all right. Love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Okay. See you guys.